This is Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. I've got a great guest joining me today, but before I introduce her, let's talk a quick note on what's going on here in Toronto. Lots of activity, lots of things in the news, and one of the things that we're going to be talking about this hour, of course, some condominiums are being brought into question on some of the improvements doing in common areas. If you are a condominium owner, you're going to want to stay tuned for this because there is a lot that you should know about condominiums and maintenance fees. How are you going to be affected? I keep telling you, the market seems to be in its regular spring strength. We're seeing some strong numbers coming out. Prices are up. Biggest part about this year, though, is inventories down and actually quite substantially through the spring. You know, sometimes at some part of the market, we're almost 30% lower and the number of homes being listed for sale, which again, as we talk about this, the lower supply creates more demand, which creates higher prices. And where is the market going to go? Well, you know what? We're going to talk about that this hour as well, because I think we need to kind of dispel some of the myths about some of the headlines that are coming out in the news. You know, it was interesting because the other week I had Greg on from BNN. One of the headlines was Korea put out that, oh, it looks like maybe the market's softening a little. Well, it wasn't quite that it's softening. It's just the number of units that are being sold is down because surely People that are thinking of moving are sitting there saying, great, I move and then what do I do? You know, I got to hop in just like the buyers who are buying my property. I've got to go compete in the marketplace for something else. Am I really further ahead to move? I think that's a perfect segue to bring in my guest today. It is Romana King. You've heard her here on Simply Real Estate numerous times. She is senior editor at Money Sense Magazine, licensed realtor, just a awesome person to talk about real estate. And Romana, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You know, you and I have uh, talked a few times in the past and always enjoyed your conversation. You know, I think we're kind of of like minds. You know, when we talk about real estate, as I just, uh, you know, brought us in on the show here, one of the things that I've recognized is that, you know, we're really low on inventory this year. And I think part of the reason why is that people are just afraid to jump into the market. What do you think? I think people are afraid to jump in the market. It's very frothy. In Toronto and Vancouver, there's so many headlines all the time, but it's not just Toronto and Vancouver. Calgary and Edmonton, despite the slowdown, were complaining about low inventory last year. Montreal, despite sort of the uptick in people, you know, jumping in the market, were complaining about lack of inventory when it came to semis and detached family homes. So it's across Canada. Canada, we're seeing a problem where more people want these you know, family homes than there are actually on the market. If we take a look at the GTA market, the Canadian government released some stats saying that, you know, approximately 100,000 people are going to immigrate into Toronto this year from out of the country. Now, you know, we've also got the people that are, you know, they are leaving Alberta. They're coming to Ontario to, you know, figure out jobs and everything else. So some of them are coming with money in hand to buy. So when you start looking at it, you know, we set a number, uh, you know, a record number last year. Uh, I think it was about 103 or 105,000 units sold in the GTA area. And, you know, it was interesting because a lot of realtors touted that as, oh, this is so amazing. We can't believe how amazing the market is. But quite frankly, I don't think it was as amazing as what most people think because the sheer number of people that are now moving into the marketplace, I think is more the concern saying that, look, somebody's got to live somewhere. You know, if we add 10,000 sales into a market in one year, that's just a result of the people immigrating into Canada. It's not like 
the you know the numbers yes the numbers have gone up and yes we're seeing some incredible pricing but this is just a natural reaction to you know Canada growing economists are really trying to figure this out they're trying to figure out well where are the jobs where is population across Canada moving to so you are exactly what you talked about you see people from Alberta Fort McMurray Calgary Edmonton moving to the west coast moving to Vancouver trying to chase those jobs so wherever you see growth in jobs Toronto Vancouver certain areas you're going to see people moving in that's going to put more demand on that residential real estate market. And most people, when they are a couple looking to have a family or already have a family, they haven't, they, there's no mindset yet to be in a condominium. So we've talked a lot about, I've talked a lot about in the past of if you want that lifestyle, if you want to have a family, you will have to make a decision. You have, there's a trade-off. You can't buy that huge single family detached home in downtown Toronto and not expect to pay a really exorbitant price, over a million dollars, more than a million, well over a million. Unless, you, if you want to stay in, in downtown Toronto, you might have to look at a condo. Most people don't want to look at a condo. They don't want to live in 800 square feet. So you've got people making decisions. My brother, I'll use him as an example, my brother is in Vancouver. He's looking at it. He's decided, you know what? I'm not going to be a landowner. I'm going to take my money. I'm going to rent a great place. I'm going to take that money and I'm going to use it on things that I like to do and I'm going to save it. And so a lot of people are making alternative choices. So, And that's what the economists are trying to understand. What going forward is the real estate market going to look like? Should we be building more single family? Should we be building more condos? Should we be building more rental units? And I think what people are starting to understand is it's a balance. There is no one solution. It's not like build more houses, people will come. It's some people want houses, some people want condos, some people want rental units. And it depends on the amenities for all of those. Yeah. And I, I think that's brilliantly put because when because it is a balancing act, and right now, as you as you mentioned, there are families coming in and the only choice for them in their mindset is to be able to own a detached family home. They want to know they have the security of their own four walls. They're in control of their own backyard. But then again, you've got a lot of the millennials that are coming up. And, and I, and, and, you know, I will say that it's a bit of the entitled youth that we're looking at. And, you know, they perhaps are not looking at wanting to start from the ground up. You know, they want to have more of a fit and finished product. So this is where the new condominium market has really at attracted those 20-somethings. So we see them buying, we see them renting. And from an affordability standpoint, when we see brand new condos, even though, you know, and, and we'll talk a little bit later in the hour about investors, but... People can rent at a much better price than what they're going to carry that brand new condo for. So rent the rental market is still very affordable in a, a you know a world class market like Toronto. I mean, you know, you and I both know if you do a comparison to any major city in the world, you know, fifteen hundred dollar a month rents for a decent one bedroom in the core part of the city is unheard of. You know, they 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 would be normally three thousand in New York. This is the difference. And so affordability and the rental market, I believe, still will have a lot of legs in the future. And when the economists look at it, it's gotta be okay. Now are the developers gonna flip their hats as did Urban Corp, if you remember, you and I had uh, this conversation, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about some of the situations with some of these developers, but a year ago, they flipped one of their condominium developments and said, okay, no, we're going to make it a rental. And, you know, I think that that is something that people need to be able to take a look at and keep their eye on. Part of this is the sort of broader picture. You've got city planners, urban planners trying to understand what to do, trying to predict the demographics and trying to understand how to build a vibrant city. You know, they talk about a complete community, a community you can live in, work in, play in. And so, because that's what makes a vibrant city. And a vibrant city grows. It attracts more people, attracts more finance, grows, and everyone prospers. That's why we're doing it. And so what these urban planners are looking at, they're saying, well, <clears throat> do we need more? 
more single-family detached? Is that the best way to use land in downtown Toronto? Oh, no. Well, we've built a lot of condos because we wanted more densification. Now it's like, well, we've built all these condos, but now renters can't find rent. So we're losing our, our population. We're losing workers that are required to grow the economy. So now they're starting to... to uh, offer tax incentives to developers and say, listen, if you build purpose-built rental buildings, right. they will. we will actually say, we'll waive these development fees, we'll knock these zoning fees off. And these are incentives to builders to say, okay, we're going to switch We're going to switch, switch our gears. target here, yeah? Yep. We're going to say, rather than a condo, one-bedroom condo, that's really not going to suit someone five, ten years from now, we're going to build rental units, and they're going to have the two bedrooms two and three, three bedrooms. bedrooms. Yeah. And, and But the one thing I noticed, though, is also it, it's really, and it's amazing, because the government is almost screaming for development to work with, you know, affordable housing. And this is the one thing, you know, in the marketplace, we just don't see it. And it's it's at a, an all-time low, the availability right now for low-income housing. And again, you know, it, it's, can the builders, does, is it sensical for a builder to build this? Because the numbers just, they're, they're not making sense for them. The developer is a for-profit business. They don't build out of the charity of their own heart. There are there's shareholders, there are people that have invested in this company, and they grow this economy. They add to the GDP of the nation. So we can't just say, listen, can you just do one for the for the team? You know, take one for the team and just build a for So we actually have to provide them incentives. And this is part of the free market economy. The, the, the planners, the urban developers have to say, listen, if we want affordable housing, we have to take your tax dollars and throw some money at it so that people can have affordable housing built. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to look at different ways to do it. St. Lawrence Market in Toronto is one of the preeminent worldwide areas that urban developers actually study because they looked at that and they said, okay, here's a swath of land. It was, wasn't all that great. And we're going to actually build custom luxury units on top of co-op, so gear to income housing, mm-hmm. rentals, as well as ownership, as well as a commercial vibrant community. And it has blossomed. Oh, it's it's done incredible. Now it's really hard to actually buy a unit, rent a unit, anything. If you want to be a commercial entity, you have to get on a wait list. People want in that community. And one of the reasons why is it's a complete community. People can move in and actually have a community, a neighborhood that they can feel a part of. And that's what people are buying into. We forget that we're not just buying sticks and mortar. We're not just buying a house. We're buying a community. We're buying a neighborhood. We're buying something. We're buying our future. It's an investment. So we're buying a whole raft of things, not just bricks and mortar. Yeah. Excellently put. Hey, folks, if you're just tuning in, uh, my guest today is Ramana King, and she is senior editor at Money Sense. You know, we're having a great discussion about uh, real estate here, right in the GTA. Ramana, I think we've got a lot to talk about today, and and I really appreciate it. And so, folks, if you're just tuning in, we're going to be talking, you know, strictly real estate for the entire hour. We're going to be, uh, we are going to talk a little bit about a bit of the condominium dilemma that's just been brought to the forefront. I think everybody should get the kind of the straight goods as opposed to the hype of the media, because I think I think when people do it, they always over blow it. And when we start talking about the Competition Bureau, everybody gets their dukes up. They want to fight it out because how dare the Competition Bureau get in everybody's way? And are they truly the watchdog, you know, for everyone out there? So we're going to talk more about that. So um, definitely, you know, again, lots to talk about. My guest is Ramana King, Senior Editor here at Money Sense. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Now, more of Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. If you are just tuning in, my uh, my special guest today in the studio with me is Romana King, and she is Senior Editor at Money Sense. We've been having, uh, Romana, we've been having an awesome discussion about, you know, some of the development that's going on in Toronto. 
And speaking of development, you know, we, we would be remiss to not say that Toronto really is building a condominium market like crazy. You drive around Toronto, you can't stop but, you know, see uh, cranes and building and, and detours. <laughs> and I know every time I come down to the uh, studio here, I keep thinking to myself, wow, this drive is really getting fun with all these new buildings. But, you know, ultimately in the end, you know, people buy condominiums for a reason. Obviously, you know, they want to have kind of the ease of living, not the responsibility to take care of things. Have somebody else take care of it. And when you pass that responsibility on, this is where, you know, recently in the news, the Competition Bureau targeted condominium renovation industry actually in a criminal uh, probe because they're saying that there's been renovations being done um, in the common areas, common elements. So folks, just so you know, you don't, you don't own the, the hallways, the entranceways, you don't own your garages, the outside, uh, when you own a condominium, you own drywall in. So when you walk through the door, shut your door, everything from the drywall in you own, everything else is a responsibility of the condominium. And recently, um, they, they have now targeted, you know, uh, I think it's 140 plus, uh, condominiums that they feel that there's been some kind of price fixing in repairs, meaning that contractors have gone in, they've all said, hey, listen, if we all get together and charge this, then they have to pay it. I don't see it catastrophic to the actual condominium owner, but it definitely is uh, an interesting problem. I think it's one more... (laughs) One more reason why anyone in real estate that's buying a house, buying a condo just feels a little less empowered. They're like, well, here are these big, you know, companies, renovation contractors, interior design companies that are going in. And I thought I'm I thought I'm getting a, I thought I was going to get a fair price. And I didn't. I thought I was going to pay a certain amount for a vase or for renovation of my lobby. And I didn't. I think this is less actually of a real estate story and more of a bad business story. We've got individuals that are seeing lots of money. And they're going, they're chasing the money. So it could have been real estate and it could have been lollipops. It doesn't matter, <laughs> right? It, it, but sure. they saw money in real estate because real estate's hot. That lots of condo buildings are going up. And these condo buildings, they have a certain amount of time and they have to regentrify. They have to actually go in and, and make the lobby look better. Why? Because people are paying to have this, the upkeep. They have to have the swimming pool retrofitted or regraded or something. And so they go in and they look, they look, they tender the bid. Hey, can you come and fix this? Can you come and repair this? Can you come and, you know, give this a new polish and shine? And these companies have said, hey, you know, there's a lot of money. There's a lot of condos in downtown Toronto now or all over Toronto. If we fix our prices, we can actually make more money. So instead of the free market reigning, we've got people behind the scenes, bad business practice saying, let's gouge these people. And I think that's what gets people up in arms is, hey, you know, you're supposed to be giving me a good price. There's enough of you out there that you could compete and give me a good price and still make a profit. And instead of doing that, you really take it because in the end, your maintenance fees are going to pay for that. I don't know if everybody quite understands how maintenance fees are utilized, but folks, when you have a monthly maintenance fee, there there is a breakdown and it's your basic operating expenses of any building. So this is going to be, uh, you know, common heat, hydro, um, any kind of staffing that employment that you have, you know, people, you know, people love uh, buildings when they go in and there's a concierge and yeah. they say, you know, you know, uh, you know, Good afternoon, Miss King. Nice to see you again. And, you know, I always look at that and say, okay, that's $35,000. And, you know, so you start analyzing your maintenance fee and say, okay, well, so $10 uh, of my monthly maintenance fee goes to paying him. And, And I don't know if people actually take the time to understand what a maintenance fee represents. You know, they look at the number and they say, well, that sucks, but, you know, it's a condominium, I have to pay it. But really, all the breakdown, um, you know, and, and again, 
there's a portion of the actual maintenance fee that is going towards what they call a reserve fund. Mm -hmm. And the idea of a reserve fund is that it needs to meet the requirements of maintenance in the future. The average reserve fund study is done for 30 years. So you have an engineer study, report gets done, and they say, over the next 30 years, this is the work that's going to be required. So as you perfectly put, you know, when you have to start redoing certain aspects of it, then they should be looking at the reserve fund to be able to take care of this. But unfortunately, what happens is a lot of these reserve funds come short because they didn't anticipate the certain costs. They didn't anticipate that the board will now turn around and make a decision that is contradiction to what everybody thought five years ago. And they say, mm -hmm. hey, wait a minute, you know, let's go with this tile as opposed to this tile. So it's not $10 a square foot, it's $20 a square foot. Mm -hmm. So change, costs change. And so when we look at the big picture, all of a sudden, as, as, as we mentioned, you've got these companies quoting, but if you've got a collusion of all the different companies saying, listen, we are the top four companies that get called, we are going to go in. And if everybody agrees, this is how we are now bidding. And this is, I think, really the, 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 the meat of the problem is it's the companies actually all getting together saying, hey, look, it, we could raise everybody's income here if we all agree. Part of the issue is that a lot of condominium boards are unfamiliar with putting things out to tender. So what they want is they want companies that have already been vetted by other condo boards. So they're going to the same pool of players all the time. And when you're the same pool of players all the time and you start to realize, listen, we've got we've cornered the market, well now we can fix the market. Now we can actually set our prices. And I think that's I think as we start to see this story unwind, that's what we're going to find out is it was the same pool of people. I mean I know people that have gone in and done condo, you know, interior design. I highly doubt they're caught up in this. No. They're not that type of people, but but this is what they've done. They've said, you know, I have someone, I have a friend of mine who's an interior designer. He travels all over the United States doing boutique hotels. Why? Because he's done them a whole bunch of times in New York. So the people down in Texas, down in Houston say, well, you've done all the ones in New York. We know your work. So could you come down here and do ours? And that's what happens is you get a set pool of people. And the problem is, is that when you've got people that know what they're doing, usually you think you're going to get good quality work good prices, competitive prices. And, and obviously in this situation, the Competition Bureau is, you know, asked to see the papers and see the paperwork because they're saying, you know what, we're not quite sure you have operated that way. And when you've got maintenance fees that are, you know, dependent on how much you pay for interior design, how much you pay for maintenance of that pool, how much you pay for maintenance of the underground parking and whatever other amenities, including, you know, replacing the roof and replacing the windows, all things you have to do, whether you own a house or you're living in a condo, well, those maintenance fees are going to either go up or down. And, and a lot of people assume that maintenance fees always have to go up. And that's actually not true. Mm -hmm. You know, maintenance fees don't have to go up. They can stay steady. I mean, it's not like they're never going to go up, or it's not like they don't go up incrementally each year, but they don't have to go up astronomically. And that's what people don't understand is a well-maintained building, whether you have a house or a condo will see rise in costs, but they won't see massive jumps in costs, things that are going to break the bank, special assessments. Sure. And a well-managed building. And, and this is the problem is that these condo boards thought they were doing the right thing and, you know, it was out of their hands. Okay. So folks, listen, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Simply Real Estate. And my guest is Senior Editor at Money Sense. It's Romana King. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about condominiums and a whole bunch more topics based on real estate. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Now, more of 
Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Simply Real Estate, and I am your host, Todd C. Slater. And my guest today is Ramana King, and she is senior editor at Money Sense Magazine. And by the way, folks, if you don't know that magazine, definitely go to the store. You can buy it at uh, Chapters Indigo. Great, great magazine. You're going to learn a lot about, you know, financing. You'll see Romana's articles there. We talk a lot about, she talks a lot about real estate in it. Some great articles. Um, I'm a big fan of it. So if you are able to, make sure you pick up a copy. And um, so, Romana, just before the break, you and I were talking about, obviously, the Competition Bureau putting a little bit of pressure on some condominiums because of what they they deem to be, you know, some price fixing by some some companies out there doing all the repairs. But you know, more importantly, condominiums and their maintenance fees. You know, this yeah. is this is this is one of those things. I I personally th- am concerned for all these new condo owners and folks. If, if if you're here downtown Toronto and you're living in your sixty story building and you've got a big smile on your face because you just went down and had a uh, you know a swim in the lap pool. Um, Awesome that you're enjoying it. Uh, that lap pool is probably going to cost your condominium in about ten years, about a hundred grand to fix. Just throwing that out there at the low end, a yeah, hundred grand. End. So, so what do you what do you think? You know, like are are people really setting themselves up for a huge expenditure in the future? I think they are. Every condominium is different. Every you know co co op is different. Anyone that has shared facilities, common areas is different. But I think people don't really understand that you're you're getting the benefit of something that you're going to have to pay for in the future. Yes, you're paying incrementally right now, but really there is age on all of this. There's age on windows. There's age on doors. There's age on paint. There's age on pools. And when they start to age, you need to actually fix them. If you don't, you know, an ounce of uh, prevention is worth a pound of cure. If you don't fix them at 100,000, you're going to be fixing them at 1 million. There's been all sorts of articles over the last few years about some situations that have happened in some of these condominiums. I remember one last year, of course, they called it Trump Towers and they thought Mr. Trump should have come in and spend it. But I don't know if you remember, there was a, there was a, there was an issue up top with an antenna. They closed down the street. And and I think by the time the city decided how much it was worth to, to for all the, you know, the redirecting and everything, I, I think... I think they kind of underplayed the number, but maybe it was $5,000. And so then the question is, is who is responsible for it? Well, if the condominium was actually getting money for that tower that was sitting on top of their building, it's the condominium's responsibility unless they chase the person that put the tower on. And I don't know if people understand responsibility, cause and effect, but, you know, we've heard about falling panes of glass. Mm. And in the new buildings, of course, everybody wants floor to ceiling glass. Now... Does anybody understand the true cost of replacing that at the 50th story when somebody's out there on a swing stage, what the cost of replacing that one pane of glasses, you know, and this, this is the thing, it's about $5,000 to do one window. And when you take a look at the entire cost of all these buildings and what they're going to face in the future, you know, here's my, here's my prediction. I believe that people's condominiums uh, the condominium fees will cost more than the rent they will get for the unit. We're already halfway there. There are buildings in Toronto that you can maybe charge fifteen, eighteen hundred in rent, and their maintenance fees are already nine hundred thousand dollars. These are the older condos. They're the ones with the indoor pools and with the underground parking, and they're the ones with the floor to ceiling windows. Yes, this is a wonderful amenity. It's great to be able to look out on the Don Valley of your beautiful, you know, Broadview condo. But the reality is, you do have to pay for that. And it doesn't matter if you're a condo or a house; you would have to pay. If you're in a house with a massive, you know, wall of windows, you have to pay for. 
that. The problem with being in a condo is that you don't get to decide when. A, house, a homeowner can say, well, I want these massive windows. I don't want the expense anymore. I'm going to brick it up, do something, <laughs> you know, whatever they want. But as a condo owner, you're, you're honor bound to, to do what the board wants. And if the board wants to maintain those windows, guess what? That million dollar assessment is going to be proportioned out to all the condo unit holders. And it's, it's, it's not when you can afford it. It's when the building can afford it and needs to do that work. When you have a special assessment in a condominium, they'll actually register the, the lien on title of your property. Yeah. So if you go to sell your unit, you have to pay that. So if it's a $10,000 special assessment, and a lot of times, you know, they, they, they basically turn around and say, look, you're either going to pay it, or if we have to take a loan to pay it on your behalf, you're going to be responsible for the interest. And this happens with a lot of condominiums. How much is too much when it comes down to amenities? And, you know, when people are looking for longevity, do they really need all of the things that they deem to be the five-star resorts. You know, it's amazing because, you know, you and I both, you know, um, you know, being in the real estate world, you know, builders will send you all these brochures saying, hey, listen, we'll cooperate 6%, show these to your clients, that kind of thing. And when you look at the brochures, you know, I look at them as five-star resorts. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, funny thing is everybody is thin, good looking, <laughs> young. They're sitting at rooftop like pools. Us. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, sitting at rooftop pools. And, you know, enjoying, enjoying a drink, laughing and, and these brochures are absolutely brilliant. They paint a perfect, perfect picture. And whenever I see, you know, I, I always, I always ask people this and you'll probably get a kick out of this, but, um, whoever invented a rooftop pool, I do not understand. In Toronto? Okay. Yeah. Well, where, where does water go? <laughs> you know? Where does water go? What happens when it snows? What happens when you can, can't use it because it's so hot because the sun is baking you? Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then when there's a leak, it always goes down through the body oh. of that. And, and this is, this is the funniest thing. And so sorry to all of you developers that I actually tune into Simply Real Estate, which you should be doing anyways. <laughs> but, you know, here's the thing. Um, you know, I have to tell you, it, it, it's a genius architect to be able to draw it up. But there's not an engineer in this world that can tell us that the pipe eventually is not going to wear out a coupling because of human error, you know, the dripping down. Uh, years and years and years ago, um, when I when I first got into the industry, and I'm going to date myself here, about 1990, um, out in Mississauga on, on a very prominent street, there was a condominium and they had the entire facade of the one side of the building uh, delaminated because of water leaking from a rooftop oh. pool. And it, well, there was a special assessment for $1.5 million to a, to a condominium. And so when everybody sold it, because it wasn't that many units in the building, I think it ended up being about $20,000. Well, the value of the units were only one hundred and ten. So you can imagine, you know, basically 20% of your value going out to a special assessment because some genius thought that having a rooftop pool made sense. Uh, The reality is special assessments do happen. And for regular standard maintenance, like if you're going to replace all the windows, you have a reserve fund that's only going to, you know, because they can't take all the reserve fund and say, I'm going to spend it. They need some of that money to stay in that reserve fund for emergencies. So they're going to take a portion, they'll do a special assessment, and they'll they'll make up the rest with that special assessment. But people get scared. And I have an anecdotal uh, story here here where a friend of mine who's done very well doing condo, you know, buy, renovate and sell, not, he wasn't doing it as a job. He just didn't like the location, would move on to the next, but he makes smart decisions. He's decided he was going to move out from the East End and back into downtown. So he and his partner see this great condo, huge, massive balcony, great Florida window ceiling, windows, and they decide, well, we're going to take a look. And there was probably about 10 buyers looking. And so they get the special, they get the uh, the condo strata documents and there's a special assessment. Well, he decided to look at the special assessment and what it was for. Routine stuff, windows. He was okay with it. He bought it. 
condo has not lost any value whatsoever. It's a great building. It's well-maintained. But he was willing to actually research and do the work to understand, listen, I don't have any crazy amenities. This is a standard maintenance that needs to be done anyway. Someone's going to have to pay it. I'm, I'm willing to come in there. But he's able to underbid the price because everyone else because was scared. It, sure. Right? Everyone got scared with special assessments. And they should be if it's for underground parking that really, you know, I remember my mom bought a condo out in Deep Cove, Vancouver, and there was huge problems out there with, with exactly what you're talking about, with water damage on the outside of the buildings. And they built the wrong type of buildings for a wet climate. And so that she had a condo uh, mortgage lender that wanted to give her money found out there was an underground parking and backed out 24 hours after, before the deal was supposed to close. Wow. I get phone calls from my family. What do we do? What do we do? Yeah. Send them a lender. They're fine. Boom. Everything's fine. But the lender got scared because they looked at that and said, oh, we're going to have to have a huge special assessment. The con is going to go down in value. It hasn't. It's in Deep Cove. I don't know if you know Vancouver, but Deep Cove is super popular. Everyone's moving there now. It hasn't lost any value. But again, it's about doing your research. If you're buying a condo and you're paying for a wonderful lobby with a 24-hour concierge, uh, you know, an outdoor and an indoor pool, a massive weight room, you're paying for all of that at some point. It could be in the value of your condo later on when you go to sell it because the assessment's there and you've got to maintain it all or whatever. The, it could be in the maintenance fees that keep going up because you've got to repair and maintain them. Or it could be, you know, you could chance out and maybe you don't have to pay for it, but the next person will have to pay for it. But if you do your research and you buy a building because you want to live in it and you can do all your outside fun in the outside when you pay, can pay for your gym membership when you need it, yep. then then it's a good investment. But it really is about understanding what you're buying and understanding also that you can't, nothing's for free. Yep. If you're going out there and you're having the pool, at some point you will pay for it. I'm going to have you stay put. Sure. And folks, when we come back, I will have more with Romana King. She is senior editor at Money Sense, and we keep talking real estate. So we'll be right back. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. I've been having a lot of fun today. My special guest is Romana King from Money Sense Magazine. It's been absolutely awesome talking about real estate. And by the way, you can go to uh, moneysense.ca to uh, catch some of Romana's uh, articles. She is a senior editor there. Brilliant, brilliant articles, great magazine, and definitely something worth reading. Speaking of going somewhere, uh, don't forget to go to the simpleinvestor.com. Today, uh, we've got our new release, folks. It's really, really exciting. The new release has just come out. Uh, Two-bedroom townhomes, 99.9, and three bedrooms at 1099, located in southwestern Ontario, of course, to get more Go to thesimpleinvestor.com. You can check. Um, We have not booked a summer seminar, but one may be coming up. We just had one the other night, and we may have another one uh, in the near future. So if not, you can always reach me at the office, 905-812-2524, and I'm happy to talk anything real estate as usual. But of course, talking to Romana has always been a pleasure. And so, you know, just before the break, you and I were kind of finishing off the whole idea of condominium fees and everything, the way they're going. And um, you know, it's not going to be the wild, wild west, but I got to tell you, I, I, I have my, I have my reservations. I think condominium fees are going to definitely go up. They're going to go up a lot. And I just hope people are going to be very, you know, as you said, educate themselves, you know, make yeah. sure they understand what they are buying. A um, couple other topics though, I think I'd love to touch base with you on. Uh, for instance, you know, the last few years, you and I have seen a lot of multiple offers mm. hitting airwaves, the bidding wars, you know, and everybody's reaction and. 
And I'm not faulting the agents, but this is a natural reaction for agents. You know, um, you know, if you want to win the, you know, no conditions, firmest, biggest, best offer is always going to be the winner. And we know as a home seller, you know, the average person just wants to know, okay, when this is all over, I want as much money as humanly possible. And I want no conditions because I don't want to have to think about this anymore because it's been crazy. And, you know, that's just kind of the natural human reaction. But you and I both know when people go firm without home inspections, mm. they are putting themselves into a position. Now, there are opportunities for people to do home inspections prior to going into a bidding war. What's your take on about not having a home inspection or doing one pre-offer? Well, my take on not having home inspection is bad, bad, bad move. Bad move, no matter what. Unless you're ripping everything out of either the condo or the house. Or you're knocking the house down. <laughs> or you're knocking the house down. Yeah. I mean, at those those circumstances, you don't bother. Sure. If you're ripping everything out, you're going to find the problems anyway that home inspectors can't see. Sure. So you're going to replace everything. You're going to replace the electrical, everything that is just going to cost you a bundle. But if you're not ripping everything out, most people aren't. It's a vast majority aren't. You really need a home inspection. And just because, you know, a house is put up for, you know, bidding war and you know there's a bidding war because there's offers being taken on a certain night, doesn't mean you can't get a home inspection. Real estate agents are very, very, very amenable to having people come in when they're super interested. So if you want an inspection, book an inspection before the bidding offer on that night, say it's on a Tuesday night, book an inspection on a Monday and walk around with your inspector. And real estate agents that list homes, they know this stuff. They know that people want that. So they will accommodate. Uh, often what happens too is that the sellers will actually have an inspection. They'll pay that $300, $500 for an inspection. And by doing that, they have the inspection out there for you to see. Some agents actually don't even advertise it. But that's a great point. I'm going to ask you, you're licensed. I've been licensed for years. Would you accept somebody else's report? As long as I could see it, Yes. If someone just verbally said to me, oh, the roof needs replacing, well, uh, no. I want to actually see the report because there's always problems with inspector. I have a friend who had an inspection on his home. The inspector actually missed a big gaping two-foot hole in the exterior wall. Right. So, so what if, okay, so let's say you see that inspection, okay, and that inspector missed and it was given to the homeowner, yeah. which means there's really no liability None for the purchaser because the merit is always if the home inspector does it for the buyer, then that, that home inspector is liable to the buyer if there is found, you know, default at a later date. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, so, yeah. so, so, so there, there's, there's the thing. And, and I, I agree. I have seen the situation where, you know, home, you know, homeowners say, well, let's get a pre-inspection or, or, or the, the listing agent says, let's do a pre-inspection. That way we don't have to worry about this. Do you trust that inspector? Is really the, really the case in point you have to think about? Absolutely. And I think that's the problem is, do you trust that inspector? There's a lot of inspectors out there that are phenomenal, just like real estate agents. And there's some that aren't. <laughs> Sorry. Right? Okay. Listen, that's a whole <laughs> other show. We don't want to go there. Okay. Inspectors and realtors. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I, I get hit. We don't have enough time uh, to be able to do that topic. I get hate mail from realtors and from people that use realtors, so I'm okay with that. Yeah, okay. The inspectors, they're there to try and provide a service, but you're right. When you're paying the bills, when you're paying that inspector the money, they're accountable to you and you have some recourse. So my friend right. who actually had an inspector who missed that gaping hole, he went back to him and said, listen, you missed the gaping hole. What are you going to do? He's trying to get his money back. He has that right. If he wanted to, he could probably go to court. You know, it did cost him 5000 plus to actually repair that. Right. He, didn't ha he didn't anticipate that expense. So, yeah, first thing you want to do is if you've got time and if you've got the ability, get your own inspection. But if you can't get your own inspection for whatever reason, sure. fall back, at least try and get 
uninspection report yep. rather than going in blind. Who wants to invest $750,000 million, $750, or $1 million on something they've never even seen an inspection number? I'd rather see something than nothing. Sure. And I think that's why I'd say, you know, if a seller's got one out there, at the very least, take a look at that. But if you can, take the two hours before the offer date and actually go with your inspector and walk around that house, understanding he's not going to be able to see inside the walls, has no idea if the electrical is actually knob and tube or not. So there's always issues. Look at the date of the house. The house was built in the 1950s, and they haven't done much to it other than paint and gloss it up. You've got to have some suspect. You're going to have some issues, and the inspector's not going to catch them. But they should say, you know... I can't see the electrical. There might be issues. I can't see this. There might be issues. That's a good inspection report. Yeah. You'll see the disclosure saying unable to verify because could not physically, you know, acknowledge it. And, and, and you're right. You know, there are excellent inspectors out there. There are some that, you know, again, you know, perhaps it's not worth the paper they write on. (laughs) And, and that happens. So folks, you know, it's got to be a comfort level. When you do something, you know, it's always good to get advice. Uh, if somebody's had a really good inspector, do your due diligence. Before before you even get in the market, I always tell people, you know what, interview home inspectors, you know, get them online, talk to them, at least get a general knowledge of what they are like. So you can make that decision then instead of the last second saying, well, the guy I wanted is not available, so I'm going to use somebody else and just grasp at the the first available person. Absolutely, you, know, make, you, you got to build your own team. And you, gotta, you can ask for, for if your inspector is not available, maybe they know an inspector that they would recommend. If you really like that one inspector and he's not available or she's not available, ask for someone else. I think the one thing I would strongly recommend is if you get a referral from one expert. So if you if you're using a real estate agent and they say, "Here's my inspector," ask them, "Do you get any, any referral fees?" Definitely reference fee. Yep. Right, because you know it's it's totally. Oh, okay to get that reference fee, the referral fee, but you need to be upfront about it. And then if you are getting it, are they really recommending that person because they're great or because they get some money back? Yep. Um, So we got a few minutes left. Let's talk about one of your and my topics that are dear to our heart, investment real estate. Yes. And we talk about tenants paying your mortgage and- Love it. I'd love, yeah, don't you? <laughs> I, I do too. It's a, it's amazing. And you know, if you're just tuning in, by the way, uh, you're listening to uh, myself, Todd C. Slater here at Simply Real Estate. And my guest is Ramana King and she is senior editor at Money Sense um, and also very, very well-versed uh, as a real estate professional. And you know, the thing is, you and I both believe in investment real estate very yes. much. And uh, folks, I didn't bring her on just to prompter, you know, because of, because of obviously the simple investor, but ultimately in the end, you know, um, I think people need to understand what a tenant truly is doing for you and your investment. And, you know, you and I both have the same take, I think on it. So I'll let you explain it. Uh, Well, I, I work for a magazine where we look at all personal finance. So I look at it often in, 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 in relation to say a stock market, I have a hundred dollars. I'm going to go out and buy stock and I'm hoping to get that return. I have a hundred dollars. I'm going to go out and buy a rental unit and I'm hoping to get a return. So I'm hoping that that rental unit will rise in price, have a capital gain or an appreciation, just like my stock. But the benefit with the rental unit is I have someone actually paying the debt so I can borrow the hundred dollars rather than actually taking some of my own money. And I can have that person pay that hundred dollar debt down for me. And I like that because it leverages the money I have. So if I've only got $100, I can only buy $100 worth of stock. But if I have $100 in real estate, I can buy it. When that person pays it down, now I've got $100 of buying power again that I can go back out and buy the next. So it's leverage. And a lot of people don't understand that that's really one of the 
biggest advantages with real estate investing. It doesn't make it a better investment because you do absolutely need to understand and educate yourself, but it doesn't make it a great investment for people that want to build wealth because you can do it with the power of leverage. And you can continue the cycle because the best part about it is that when you do your refinancing, as you mentioned, you pull the equity out. Let's say you can buy another property. So now you have two properties. You originally started with one down payment. Now that one down payment is spread between two properties and they are both cycling down as far as debt, meaning the mortgage being paid down, value going up to a little bit of appreciation. And of course, if they've done their job right, you've got some positive cash flow. I always tell people that, listen, if you don't need to live off that positive cash flow, take it and apply it against the mortgage. We're going to knock that amortization down. Like you can shave off two, three, four years fairly easy out of an amortization with positive cash flow. And the one thing about, you know, a stock is that a lot of people that have it all invested in their RSPs, they are now, you know, when they roll it to, when they hit 71, they roll it to a RIF. And now that becomes a depreciating asset because now the government wants their money over a period of time. But folks, here's the best thing. In your retiring years, you can still own investment real estate, which continues the cycle. So you pull money out, you turn around, they they you know, replenish it by paying down the mortgage again, letting the values go up. And it's a constant cycle. I think that's one of the great things about real estate. I remember talking to a real estate investor years ago. He's from London, Ontario, and he's built his sort of empire on, on he bought a house and he rented it out to his university buddies, you know, a room at a piece. And he took that money and he bought some condos and he then he and he just built his empire. I call it his empire. I don't know if he'd phrase it that way. But that's what he did is he built his his all his assets based on this one down payment. And I think that's what people have to understand is that's what I'm investing in. I'm investing in an asset that should appreciate. But the key with real estate investment, and a lot of people don't really quite understand that, is yes, it should appreciate, but you need positive cash flow. And I've known people that have gone out there and they've bought real estate condos, but there's no positive cash flow, which means I'm paying extra each month to hold that asset, hoping it goes up. That's speculation. And that is not real estate yeah. investing. And that's yeah. what people don't quite understand. It's you're, Yes, you're in the real estate market, but it's not investing. Excellent. It is speculate. You're hoping something's going to go up. Well, listen, Roman, thank you so much for joining us here at Simply Real Estate. I really appreciate uh, you being my guest. And definitely, I want to have you back because we've got so much more we can talk about. Folks, uh, that's it. Romana King from Money Sense Magazine, senior editor. Awesome to have her here. I want to thank my producer, Ian Grant. And for all of you tuning in, you will hear me next week right here on Simply Real Estate at 4 p.m. 